Listen, it's an awesome, awesome night to be here. I'm excited. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. I think Sean asked earlier, but if you need a Bible, go ahead and make sure you raise your hand uh, because we're going to be continuing our Relentless Pursuit series, and it's been amazing thus far. I think there's so much rich content that's been um, shared thus far as well. We'll be in two places, so go ahead and jot these two places down if you're taking notes so you can follow along with us in God's Word. We're going to be back in Isaiah 51 this week. We started out in Isaiah 51 uh, last Wednesday where Pastor CJ from First Baptist of Deerfield came and he laid down an awesome word. Who was here last week uh, with Pastor CJ? Was anybody here? He did a great job. Um, we're going to pick it back up in Isaiah 51. We're also going to take a small pit stop in Genesis 18. So, again, we'll draw the wealth of our information from Isaiah 51. Um, that'll be our principal launching point. We'll take off from that particular passage of Scripture. But then we'll take a small stop in Genesis 18, so jot those down. And of course, in this series, Relentless Pursuit, we're challenging you to relentlessly, actively pursue God in a society that believes that God is no longer active. I'll say that one more time. Our challenge for you in this series is to actively, relentlessly pursue God in a society that no longer believes that God is active. I don't know if this is news to you, but... We live in a society right now in modern day times where it's not popular to be considered a Christian. It is no longer popular to consider yourself a Bible-believing disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, you're, you're actually part of the minority. You're, you're a chosen remnant of individuals that Christ wants to use to do something amazing. But the heart this summer is that you would grow in spiritual maturity. In doing that, we want to teach you what it looks like to pursue God. And we, we covered those um, aspects in the last few weeks or so. We, we, we asked you um, to take a look at the God that you're pursuing. And we taught about God. And then we talked about Jesus. And we described who Jesus was. And I, I shared a message about this is Jesus. And then we circled back around and, and we talked about the Holy Spirit. And so that's the Trinity. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three in one. So now that we've covered who it is that you're pursuing, then a Pastor CJ from First Baptist of Deerfield came and, and he gave you a great description, a great illustration, a great demonstration of what does it look like to pursue God. Now that we know who it is we're pursuing, what exactly does that look like? What does it look like practically, practically speaking in my life? And so we focused on a character named Abraham. And so this week, we're going to focus on Abraham's counterpart, his better half, if you would, um, his wife, Sarah, from the same particular passage of Scripture. All right? And so if I was to give you my message in one sentence, my message in a line, the central theme of tonight, everything that you're going to hear over the next 32 minutes and 15 seconds, don't ask me how I timed it out like that. I just do. Um, but nonetheless, over the course of the time that you'll hear this message, this is what I want you to grab hold of. Write this down. Our main thought. Here it is. When pursuing God on purpose... Be prepared for him to respond by pursuing you for his purpose. I'll say that again. Write that down. Again, everything that you hear tonight, our central theme, everything that you're going to hear is embodied and wrapped around this one central thought. My message in one line, my message in a sentence. When pursuing God on purpose, which means with intentionality, when pursuing God on purpose, be prepared for him to respond by pursuing you for his purpose. And so, without further ado, I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and turn to Isaiah 51. We'll read. I'm actually going to throw it up on the big screen because there's a few things that I want to point out that CJ pointed out last week. And I want you guys to underline these key words. I think it will help give us a good blueprint and a framework of where we're going to go. So, Isaiah 51, 
Verse number one, we'll read down through verse number two. Just two short verses. Here it is. I'll read aloud and then I'll pray and ask God to bless our time as we study his word. Isaiah 51, verse one. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock, the rock which is Jesus. Look to the rock which you, from which you were honed. And to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For I have called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Now, your particular passage of scriptures comes from the, inter- comes from the international version, the NIV. And there's a few words that I want you to, to take hold of and, and, and jot them down, circle them in your Bible. Um, listen. All right, we underline that word, listen. A part of pursuing God is being able to listen to his voice and actually follow the directives that Christ is giving you. Listen to me, you who pursue, pursue. I want you to really take that word and, and apply it to your lives in your pursuit, your relentless active pursuit of God. Pursue righteousness. Righteousness is God. So as you're actively pursuing God, as you're relentlessly pursuing God, you're chasing after righteousness. You're moving in the direction of righteousness. Uh, then it goes on and says, and you who seek the Lord. So our goal, our heart, our aspiration for you is that you would take the mindset of one who is actively, relentlessly seeking the Lord. Look to the rock. In other words, look to Jesus. Someone say, Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were honed. Look to Abraham. So now, now the author, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is giving you an example. So now, now he's moving from the direction of giving you practical principles. Okay, this is who you're supposed to look to. Now he's saying, here's an example of who did it well. He says, look to Abraham, your father. Abraham gave a great example of what it looked like to pursue, relentlessly pursue Jesus. And we talked about that last week. But this week, now we're going to cover Sarah. It says, look to Sarah who gave birth to you. Now, birth, meaning Sarah was one of the mothers of the uh, Israelites, the Jewish people, the chosen people of God. It says, when I called him, he was only one man. And I blessed him and made him many. I'm going to call this message tonight, Expect the Unexpected. Expect the the unexpected. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word. I pray now over the course of the next 28 minutes and 14 seconds that your Holy Spirit would show up. God, move there and out of the way. God, let your Holy Spirit get in the way you teach this message, Lord. I pray, God, that these students would lean in, remove every distraction and place, pay close attention to what it is that you'd have to hear, for them to hear, Lord God. And so we thank you. We love you. We ask all this in your most precious and mighty name. And everyone said... I can remember growing up as a teenager, probably around about your age, maybe 12, 13 years old, walking into the wrestling room of a high school that probably most of you have never heard of. If you actually heard of this high school, come see me after. I'll give you a hub buck. Just joking. Um, But it's Cardinal Gibbons High School. It's my high school. It's my alma mater. I'm from that school. Um, I love that school. Uh, If you cut me, I bleed red. Um, I think we all bleed red. But that was the colors of the school was red. Um, But I remember walking into the wrestling room uh, as a young man uh, around about the age of maybe Jenna. Um, Shouts out to Jenna. She just wanted a shout out, so I'm just giving her a shout out. So I was probably around about Jenna's age. And um, so I I remember walking in the room, and I remember looking up at this amazing wall of fame. Literally, it's like the Hall of Fame, but it was a wall of fame. And there was these wrestlers. They were ripped and shredded, and they were on the wall with these weird-looking mean faces like, I'm like, okay, it's pretty weird. Um, but I, I remember, as weird as it looked, I wanted to be on that wall. Everything in me said to myself, I'm going to be on that wall. And I was thinking out loud. I said, I'm going to be on that wall. And I walked in the wrestling room with a mentor, a coach. He was actually one of the wrestling coaches. And he overheard me thinking out loud. And so 
I can remember walking out of the wrestling room and hearing him say to me, hey, Darren, um, I want you to go ahead and wake up on Saturday morning at about 6 a.m. Let me stop right there and pause uh, and explain something. Um, my daughters can tell you because they suffer from the same thing. Um, it's called sleep-in syndrome. All right. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you before, but um, I've literally slept an entire day away, let alone sleep in. I've literally woke up, went to sleep around about 8 p.m. Um, and woke up at about 6 p.m. the next day. Just uh, don't ask me how that happens. Um, it just happens. Um, so I do not like to wake up early. Neither do my daughters. We don't like. We don't. We don't wake up early. Um, so for me to wake up early on a Saturday, that's a challenge in and of itself. And I asked them, I'm like, well, hold it. Why do you want me to wake up 6 a.m. on a Saturday? They ain't even a school day, bro. And um, so he's like, well, I want you to jog with me, and I want to I show you how to do some push-ups, and I want to show you some technique. I'm like, for what? What, are you, what, what am I going to get out of waking up on Saturday, going jogging, and doing push-ups? He's like, listen, if you do this, I promise you I'm going to get you a reward. Okay, so you're going to coax me out of bed at 6 in the morning? I'll, I'll take a reward now. If, if I'm going to get up and I've got this thing called sleep-in syndrome, um, anything that's going to push me beyond that issue is going to be a reward. I, there's got to be something um, that I'm going to get for this. So I can remember weekend after weekend after weekend after weekend, years going by now, two, three years, I'm waking up on Saturdays, I'm going to work out with this guy. But I also can remember and recall having this small seed of bitterness creep up in my heart. Bitterness because I'm looking up at this guy and I'm working out. I'm like, you never gave me a reward. You just wanted somebody to hang out with. You're lonely. You lonely old man, you. No, no, I didn't say that to him. <laughs> but, but imagine that. So, so I'm like, dude, like, where's the reward? But I, ne I never had the, the courage to ask him, like, yo, are you going to ever give me a reward? But I just kept working out. Now, mind you, I'm wrestling, and I kept winning after match after match after match, after match. Ultimately winning championship after championship after championship after championship. And I can remember winning a title, the title that actually qualifies you to get on the wall of fame. And I can also remember walking into the wrestling room one day my senior year, maybe my junior year, looking up at that wall with my mentor, the one that told me to get up at 6 in the morning, the one that promised me a reward, but I never thought I'd get it. The one that I had bitterness in my heart about because he never gave me the reward that he promised me. And I remember looking up and him looking up with tears in his eyes and him looking down at me. And I'm looking up at him and he says, now do you see the reward? And it was a picture of me on the wall of champions. It was all the hard work that had paid off over the years of, of grinding and, and going against the grain and, and fighting my sleeping syndrome to get on that wall. But the reality is this. That reward came out of obedience. My ability and my willingness to go against the grain, my, my ability and my willingness to, to be stretched, to, to face things that were unexpected, to fight as, as much as I could. And, and the truth is, Jesus also requires some obedience from us. If I was to give you some context, if I was to, to give you an example of obedience, um, I would say there's a game that we once all have played at some point in our lives, and you guys may know it, Simon 
says, Simon says, um, just to shake things up a little bit, um, I, I want to kind of give you a good example of obedience. I want to see how obedient you all could be because it took obedience for me to listen to my coaches and do the things that I didn't want to do and, and be stretched beyond my ability and my capacity to be able to be a champion and see those rewards. So, so I've got a few 678 stickers here, and you all love 678 stickers because you can put them on cars, random cars. doesn't matter whose car it is. I'm just joking. Don't do that. Um, but here's the deal. I want everyone in here to join me in a game of Jesus says. Jesus says. So everyone stand up if you would. We're all, this is all inclusive, volunteers and all. Even if your justice back there taking pictures, you, you've qualified for the game too. All right. So Jesus said, sit down. Stand up. All right. If you stood up, you're out of the game. Volunteers, help me out now. All right. So, so now you've just disqualified yourself. That's about 16 of you right there. All right. If you're still playing, go ahead and stand up. You're out. All right. Good. Very good. Very good. All right. So, all right. If you're still playing, Jesus says stand up. Say Jesus. All right. Right there. Eyebrows on fleek. You're gone. Go ahead and sit down. Put a dip in your hip and say Jesus. Jesus said Jesus. Jesus. I didn't tell nobody to put a dip in their hip. Go ahead and you sit down. Sit down. Sit down. If you put a dip in your hip. Sit down. Bernard, sit down. Sit down. No, we're not dabbing. We're not dabbing. All I said was Jesus said, say Jesus. All right. Go ahead and put your hands in the air. Jesus said, put your hands in the air. Jesus says, wave them like you just don't hear. Say, ah. Say, ah, ah. Jesus said, ah, ah. Say, love God. Back there, you're out. Back there, back there, back there, back there. Whoever did that, you're out. All right, go ahead and stop waving your hands. All right, that's half of y'all. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. If you stop waving your hands, go ahead and sit down. Go ahead and sit down. Go ahead and sit down. If, if you stop waving your hands, go ahead and sit down. Jesus said sit down. All right, if you're still standing, you're out. Sit down. All right, everybody else stand back up. All right, you're out. You're out. All right, Jesus said stand up. Only those that are still in the game. Jesus said stop waving your hands. All right, go ahead and jump up and down. Jesus said jump up and down. Wave your hands. Oh, you're out back there. You're out right there, back there. You had your hands up there, right there. Yeah, the one you just turned around. You, uh, you thought about it. You're out. <laughs> Say, Jesus. <laughs> Sit down. Who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Help me out, John. Help me out. Gabe, help me out, man. Help me police this thing, man. All right, stop jumping. Oh, get him. Get All right, you guys can go ahead and sit down. You guys. <laughs> Jesus said, turn around. Keep turning. Oh, oh, you're out. If you kept turning, you're out. Sit down, sit down. Stop turning, stop turning. Jesus said, stop turning. Jesus said, stop jumping. Because you stopped turning. Jesus said, stop turning. Jesus said, sit down. <laughs> Jesus said, sit down. Oh, if you're standing, you're out. You're out. You're out. You're out. If you're still standing. All right. If you're still in the game, if you're still in the game, and be honest, integrity, Jesus said, stand. All right. Give them a hand. You guys can go ahead and sit down. You're out. All right, how many we got standing? Count, Gabe, count them out. How many we got still standing? 
Do we have 10? We got 12? We got 12 standing? All right, let's give these 10 out and then get two more, um, two more stickers from me. Give these 10 out. Jesus said stay standing and get two more hot bucks. Stay standing, guys. Jesus said stay standing. Get your st Once you get your sticker, Jesus said you can sit down. And we're going to continue on in our study. So let me give you some context on this story that we're diving into. We've read Isaiah 51. All right. Listen, guys, bring it back. Bring it back. It was good. It was good fun. Isaiah 51. Isaiah the prophet. Listen, just for some historical backdrop, I think it's very important. You can go ahead and sit down. And he'll give it to you. You're good. Make sure you get at least one. It's very important that we look at the historical backdrop as to why Isaiah was saying what he was saying to God's people, the people of Israel. You see, um, Isaiah has a lot of similarities to the Bible at large. In other words, you've got 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. Well, there's 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 chapters, much like the Old Testament in Isaiah, are a prophetic condemnation. In other words, there's a lot of judgment that is happening as a result of sinful acts. And much like the Old Testament, there's the law and there's judgment as a result of sinful acts. But then there's the next 27 verses, uh, much like the Bible, 27 books of prophetic consultation. In other words, they're looking ahead to the coming king, and, and we have this, this prophet Isaiah as we're now in Isaiah 51 in, in these last 27 books, which is the, the prophetic consultation. In other words, Isaiah is massaging the hearts of God's people because of their sinful nature. But these, these people are getting ready to go into this, this Babylonian captivity. They're literally getting ready to be enslaved, but the, the purpose of these, these 27 chapters is the purpose of peace, to talk about the Prince of Peace, which is Jesus, but also the promise of peace. I'll say that again. Isaiah takes these 27 chapters, much like the 27 books of the Bible, and he breaks them down into three compartments. It's the purpose of peace, the Prince of Peace, pointing everything back to Jesus, but also the promise of peace, the promise of a coming king, a coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so we've looked at this context, we've got this backdrop, and we see the position that the Israelites are in now as Isaiah's admonishing them and he's exhorting them and he's encouraging them to listen to the Lord, to pursue the Lord, even in the midst of the uncertainty that they're going to be facing. You see, he's talking to a people that's going to be held captive. He's talking to a people that's going to be in a situation that is quite atrocious, atrocious, horrible, atrocious, atrocity, calamity, right? Horrendous. Horrible. They're getting ready to be enslaved. All that. And here's the deal. If we look on, in the wake of current events, in the wake of where we find ourselves as a nation, and, and the division, the silent division that's happening as Satan's trying to use hashtags to divide, we can easily find ourselves under the same set of circumstances, which in all right, in all respects, we've already found ourselves being enslaved by what society is trying to impose upon us. And if we'd simply get back to God's word, I, I believe, and here's my heart, and I'm just sharing as a youth pastor, my heart is I believe that we've, we've placed God's word on the back burner so much so 
that one, one time or another we used to be considered a nation under God. But we're not even allowed to say that phrase in the schools any longer. And we've got a people much like Isaiah's addressing who had turned away from God. And Isaiah is simply suggesting, he's saying, listen, understand what you're getting ready to face. But what I would say, and here's what Isaiah is saying, is don't stop pursuing God. And so here's what my heart is for you guys. Despite the circumstances that we're in, despite everything that we're facing as a people and as a nation, I don't care what hashtag you want to get behind or what hashtag you want to represent. Everything that matters is what matters to Jesus, and Jesus is the only way. And I tell you, don't stop pursuing pursuing God as hard as times may be and as scary as things may look right now. Don't stop relentlessly pursuing God. And so we're here looking at a story and a, and a concept that Isaiah is rolling out for us. And he's saying, hey, look to Jesus. Yes, time is going to get rough. Yes, you're going to be in captivity. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, you're going, to be, you're going to face horrendous and atrocious things, and you're going to see calamity in the world, and you're going to, you're going to want to give up. You're going, to want to, you're going to want to throw in the towel. But Isaiah is telling him, look to the examples that went before you. Look to Abraham. Look to your mother Sarah. And so let's look at Sarah. Let's look at the life of Sarah. We're going to go to Genesis 18 in just a few moments, but, but I want to roll out a, a, a broad kind of canvas stroke of, of, of the unexpected, remember, expect the unexpected, the unexpected hurdles that, that Sarah had faced as she pursued this promise with her husband. You see, Abraham was given this promise that he would be the father of what? Many people. He said you couldn't even, you couldn't even count the number of, of kids you're going to have. It wouldn't even parallel to the, to the stars in the sky. And here's this promise that Abraham is pursuing. And Abraham, his wife named Sarah, and she's, she's beside him, and she's believing in the promise of God. So they're in active pursuit of God, but they're also in active pursuit of this promise. But they would face hurdles. You see, two times, not once, two times, Abraham would put Sarah, his wife, in a compromising position. You see, they would be confronted by Egyptians on the way to their place of promise. And Abraham would sinfully lie and say, you know what? They'll kill me if they find out you're my wife. You're so beautiful that here's what I want you to do. We're going to lie, and you, I'm going to tell them you're my sister. And, and I'm going I'm to turn you over to them, and, you, and they can do whatever they want with you, but, but as long as I can live, right? You down for that? She's like, I didn't sign up for this. But she kept her eyes on the promise. She kept her eyes on the purpose that God had for their lives. And, and so she leaned in, and she said, you know what? I believe that God will deliver me from this. It doesn't happen once, it happens twice. There's a guy named King Abimelech who then takes Sarah because yet again Abraham lies and said, oh, no, no, she's not my wife. You can have her. It's my sister. Would you think that Sarah would shy away at that point and say, no, no, Abraham, you got me once, but you're not going to get me again. But truth be told, because she kept her eyes on the promises, she continued to pursue God and she knew that despite the horrendous situation that she was dealt, she knew God would deliver her out. And God indeed did deliver her out of that situation. He came to Abimelech in his sleep and said, listen, you let this woman go. God intervened on her behalf. And, and Isaiah is simply trying to suggest, guys, God is going to intervene on your behalf. And as a nation, here's what I'm suggesting. Guys, God, again, in spite of circumstances that we see all over social media and in real time, God is still on the throne and he's going to intervene on our behalf. And that's good news. And so here we go 
on the second and third set of circumstances that were unexpected, now we've got Sarah, who's been delivered as a result of her husband's bad choices. Not hers. How many of you guys have suffered because of bad choices that someone else made on your behalf? We've all been there before. But yet God still intervenes. And so, so now Sarah is going to make a bad choice on, on her own behalf. How many have made bad choices on our own behalf? We've been in situations where we, we, we begin to throw in the towel. We begin to get weary with the promise of God. And, and so here's Sarah. She's starting to get older in age. And so she's like, you, you know what? We haven't had this, this promised son yet. We haven't had this child yet. And so I'm going to get Hagar. And, and, and Hagar's going to give birth. And, and then we see this division happen. So she gives birth to a child. But it wasn't the, the promised child. And what happens is division. Division takes place as a result of us taking matters into our own hands. And again, as we look at real time, we've got this, this silent, divisive scheme from Satan with all these different hashtags that are going on out there. Forms of division. And what Satan wants is to simply divide God's people. He wants to divide families. And because of that division, we've got now the, the Ishmaelites and, and Ishmael, who was Hagar's son, which is a part of the plan that, that Sarah conjured up because she didn't want to no longer pursue the promise because she got tired and, and she got weary and she, she started to doubt. And as Sean taught in the weekend service, the tragedies that we've seen come time after time, 9-11, Orlando, ISIS terrorists, that's all a part of the Ishmael tribe, all a part of this division. And in the same way, I believe, again, as your youth pastor, I say this candidly, Satan is even going to try to use these hashtags to divide us amongst ourselves in the church. Again, we've got Black Lives Matter, we've got Blue Lives Matter, we've got All Lives Matter, and I, again, suggest to you what really matters is what Jesus thinks matters. And that's the mantra we need to take. What matters to Jesus? Do you want to know what matters to Jesus? Point to yourself. You, me, us, the church. And we have an opportunity not to divide, but to unite and come together. Even in the midst of chaos. Even in the midst of uncertainty. And so we've got, got Sarah here. Turn to Genesis 18 and I love the way this story rolls out. She's now older in age. She's on this journey pursuing God, pursuing promise. And remember, I opened up with a one-liner, and it simply suggested that when you're pursuing God on purpose, be prepared for him to respond by pursuing you with his purpose. Well, God had a purpose, and it wouldn't stop. Even in the midst of the uncertainty, even in the midst of the unexpected occurrences that Sarah endured and went through, some as a result of choices that she didn't make on her behalf, but some as a result of choices that she did make on her behalf. But nonetheless, they were challenges. But we can learn from Sarah, as Isaiah eloquently says, look to Sarah, look to that example. We can learn. Let's learn this lesson here. Old Sarah now, Genesis 18, we'll pick it up in verse 9. I want you to buckle up because I'm going to read a few verses here, 9 down to 15. So here we go. I'll read aloud. You guys can follow along. I love the story. Check it out. You got Abraham, her husband. He's being confronted by the angel of the Lord. It's the Christophanies. It's God himself. It's Jesus Christ in the flesh. Speaking to Abraham, he says, then he said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, she's here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, 
well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I've grown old, shall I now have the pleasure? My Lord being old also. So Sarah's basically saying, I'll pause there. Sarah's basically saying, you know, I'm, I'm way too old to have the pleasure of having a son now, and Abraham's old. We're, we're just old. Like, really? Is, really this is going to happen? Verse 13, and the Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I want you to underline, circle that phrase. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he, he being the Lord, said, no, no, but you did laugh. Effectively, he's saying, you need to expect the unexpected because there's nothing too hard for me. You see, birth at this point in Sarah's life was an unexpected occurrence. Her frame of mind was suggesting that there's no way possible that at my, age, my old age, at Abraham's old age, that I'm going to give birth to a child. No way. Just not going to happen. I can't fathom it. She wasn't really expecting the unexpected. She didn't, she didn't really lean into what God was trying to do. I want, I want to give you a thought, though. I want to give you a, a little nugget here. I'm going to throw up on a big screen for you. I want you to write this down. Oftentimes, listen, oftentimes, God oftentimes does the unexpected or unexplainable just to assure us that he's the only one that can do what he does. Write that down. You can even take a picture of it. God oftentimes does the unexpected or unexplainable, just to assure us that he's the only one that can do what he does. And so we've got Sarah now laughing at God, not really leaning into the unexpected, but she's actually thinking like, you know what, it's over for me. I don't know about this promise any longer. I remember pursuing it, and I remember going through all that I went through to get to this promise, but, but I don't know if this is still going to happen. Well, as the story goes, you all know that the story does unfold where Abraham and Sarah give birth to Isaac. And Isaac would then give birth to Jacob. And, and from this lineage would be God's chosen people. Because of Sarah's obedience, even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of having to believe in God, having to demonstrate obedience beyond understanding. I, I taught a message about that before, obedience beyond understanding. In other words, it doesn't make sense. Well, listen, God doesn't operate in the things that make sense. Listen, he knows us. He knows the way we think. He knows, listen, we'll try to explain it away. We'll, 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 we'll get all scientific and technological and try to explain things away. And that's why he operates in the unexplainable. When God does something, it can't be explained. It's only the supernatural. Or some would say God is just naturally super. But nonetheless, because of Sarah's obedience, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of the unexpected, God does what he promised he'd do. And as a result, Sarah would indeed make it to this thing that they call the hall of faith. You see, you circle back to the beginning of our story, and in and, and my, my opening intro, I talked about wanting to get to the, the wall of fame. I, I, I want to work hard. I was willing to grind it out. I was willing to, to forego my issues with, with this 
sleep-in syndrome that I had, and, and I was willing to, to put in the work, and, and even going through uncertain times where I would look up and have this bitterness in my heart toward my mentor, my coach, because he was supposed to give me a reward that never happened. And in the same way, Sarah's pushing beyond the promise, and she's pushing toward the promise, and she's, she's pursuing God in the midst of uncertainty and, and, and going through trials and challenges and, and making poor decisions and, and enduring decisions that hadn't been made, but yet they're made on her behalf, but she didn't make them, and she's going through all this uncertainty, and I'm sure she's probably getting and bitter in her heart to the point where she even laughs at God. But yet in the midst of all of that, God still rewards her. And she makes it to the hall of faith. Hebrews 11, if you go there for homework, write it down. I'm going to put the verse on the, the big screen for you. But, but the entire verse is really dedicated to all the, the great patriarchs of the Bible. All those that have done amazing things. And Sarah makes it to that hall of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 11 says this, and by faith, listen, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so here's what I'd ask. What exactly does it look like to pursue God? My hopes, the aspiration, the goal of this message wasn't to just tell a really cool story about my wrestling accolades and what I'd done in my career, although it was pretty cool. My goal wasn't to just play an intense game of Jesus says to which I'd lose some friends and people would be mad at me because I disqualified them from the game and I'm hurt for that, but it wasn't the goal. The goal was to roll out to you, was to illustrate to you what exactly does it look like to pursue God. Well, there's five things I want to show you. Five things that I think we could look at from this message. And here they are. I'll put them up on the big screen for you. Expect challenges along the way. As you pursue God in your middle school life, guess what? Yes, you're going to face challenges. You're going to face situations. You're going to face uncertainty. You're going to be stretched. You're going to be pushed. You're going to be pulled. But the reality is challenges will come. Number two, expect the temptation to take matters into your own hand. So we've got Sarah now. She had her challenges. Abraham tried to pawn her off, basically saying, hey, you're not my wife. You know, um, it's all good, though, because I want to live. Um, you just go ahead and hang out with the Egyptians, and you hang out with King Abimelech. That was a challenge for Sarah. But then Sarah goes on. To, she, takes, she takes matters in her own hand. And, and, and how many of you guys have ever been tempted to take matters into your own hand, knowing that things really shouldn't be taken into your hands? I mean, to be truthful... There's things that I would hope my kids would trust me in. There's, there's promises that I've made that I hope my kids would trust me in. But I'm pretty sure, much like yourselves, there's that temptation to just go do things the way they want to do them. How, how many of you have been given instructions, specific instructions, but yet you've taken matters into your own hand and you've kind of gone a different path and, and things kind of ended up worse off? Let's just be honest. This is a, a living room. It's not so much a sanctuary. We're family here. I've done it myself. My mom's back there. She can tell you. There's specific instructions that she was giving me in life. And, and I've, I've taken matters into my own hands. And, and things didn't end up quite the way we hoped they would. But yet God is a redeemer. God will still redeem even when we find ourselves taking matters into our own hands. Because guess what? Even in the midst of Ishmael coming into the world, we still see Isaac. We still see the promised son being birthed. Point number three. Expect God to use you for his purpose. 
his purpose. See, it wasn't about what Hagar uh, gave birth, who, gave, who Hagar gave birth to, and what Sarah thought was going to be the promise, or how the promise would would actually present itself. See, God has a purpose, but it's all about Him. It's not about us. Everything that happens happens because it's God's purpose. We could also expect God to keep His promises. If God gives you a promise, you can rest assured that he's going to make good on that promise. There's things as a human being that I'm going to fail at. There's promises that I'll make my kids that, guess what, in all transparency, I'm going to fail. I'll probably break a promise or two. It's human nature. But one thing you can rest assured about when it comes to God is that he's going to keep his promise. And one promise that I pray that you guys would really embrace and believe is this. God is coming back. And so when you look at, again, current events and all that we're going through as a nation, there was a promise that he made. He says, in this life, John 16, write it down. This is for free. Bonus. John 16, 33. This is totally the Holy Spirit talking. I didn't put this in my notes. I promise you. In this life, we will have tribulations. In this life, we will go through persecution. In this life, we will be bullied. In this life, we will be harassed. In this life, we will find ourselves being sad because of circumstances around us. Yes, that's going to happen. But then part two of that promise, he says, listen, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so what that means is he's coming back one day. He's going to return, and we're going to reign with him, and we will See God redeem everything that has caused pain here on earth. So he's coming back, and we can rest in that. Listen, last, last point. Not only do we expect challenges, not only do we expect temptation to take matters in our own hand, not only do we expect God to use us for his purpose, not only, not only should we be anticipating him to keep his promises, but in the midst of all that, Expect the unexpected. And I'll close in the same way I opened. When pursuing God on purpose, be prepared for him to respond by pursuing you for his purpose. Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you for each one of these students that are assembled under the listening sound of my voice that want to learn and hear your word, Lord. God, we're so thankful, even in the wake of current events, Lord, that we can come here today and learn more about you because in the midst of the sadness and sorrow and the seemingly senseless deaths that have occurred within our communities and, and in this nation, the decisions that have been made that we may not understand, things that happen that just don't make sense, God, we are so blessed because we lean into the promise of your return. The very government that we may not understand, you'll overthrow it. You have it in place for a reason and we just, we believe and trust in your purpose. The fact that you will make good on your promise. We're going to close and we're going to respond in worship, but before we do that, before I say amen, here's what I want to do, something unique, something a little different than what we've ever done before. As I shared with you before, Satan, I believe, is trying to cause a division amongst us, the church, God's people, 
I'm not saying that if you were to put up a hashtag that said a specific life matters, that you're demonic. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Satan could use something that could seem so innocent to cause division right here amongst God's people. What I am saying is now more than ever before, our church, us, God's people need to unite. And we need to pray. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for our families. And so here's what I'd ask. As a form of unity, in your rows, I want you to stand. I want you to lock arms together. I want you to put your arm around the person next to you. That's your brother. That's your sister. There's nobody in your row. Find somebody to stand with. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Lock arms. And again, this is a sign of unity. This is a sign that God is putting his hedge of protection around us as a church, as his people, believing in his promise, resting on his plan, understanding his purpose, no matter what. And as we lock arms here, I want you to take this serious. This is not a joke. This is not a game. Listen, our nation is in a place of desperation. And the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then shall I heal their land. And we need a healing in this land. And I believe more than ever before that I'm staring right now down at a generation, not the church of the morrow, but the church of the day. You guys have the opportunity to make the change and be the change that we want to see and desperately need to see in this nation. I believe more than ever before, listen to me, that I'm looking at a bunch of students that are locked arms that have the ability to take God's word. Watch this. This is, this is totally unexpected. You may not expect this, but, but you might be the next person or persons that can march down to the White House with the Bible in hand, knock on the door. If you can get there with God's grace, you can. And look, whoever answers square in the eye and said, this is the only thing and the only way that this nation is going to change. I believe that you have the ability to do that. This generation. And I believe it can happen here tonight. As we lock arms and pray for this nation and pray for ourselves. We can be the change we need to see. Let us embrace God's purpose. Let us embrace his plan. Father, we thank you so much, God. As we pray, as we stand here arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip, a sign of unity, a church united, a people united, not divided. Satan, you have no room here. I believe by faith this generation, the church of today, Lord, can help be the change that this nation so desperately needs to get back to the word of God, to get back to the Bible. But God, give them the strength. Give them the courage. God, I know you did not die that we might live in fear. And so if anyone is in fear of their lives for whatever reason or another because of stereotyping and persecution and, and harassment, listen, he didn't die for you to live in fear. He died that you might draw near. I'll say that again. That was totally from the Holy Spirit. He did not die for you to live in fear. He died that you might draw near and draw near to him. It's only through him 
that you'll do the things that he, he aspires for you to do, his purpose, his plan. God, we love you. Put a hedge of protection around each one of these students right now, each one of these volunteers, everyone here on the listening sound of my voice. As we stand here united, God, we ask that you do something special. God, we ask that you do something supernatural. God, we expect the unexpected. We embrace the promise. Jesus, we say come back. Come back and return that we might reign with you forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' name, and everyone, as loud as you can, at the sound of your voice, at the top of your lungs, I want you to shout amen. Say it. Amen. Say amen. amen. Say Jesus. Jesus. I love you guys. Let's worship the Lord.